Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Welcome to another episode in our special series on cardio-oncology. I'm Dan Amender. We've covered a lot of ground in the series so far, and it feels fitting to continue the discussion by addressing formal training in cardio-oncology and future directions. Audio editing was performed by me, Shivani Reddy. I'm an intern in the Cardio Nerds Academy House Eindhoven and student at Western Michigan University School of Medicine. Here's wishing us all an abundance of joy, learning, and knowledge. And now, without any further delay, here's the show. Please enjoy. Starting us off is Dr. Dino Belenescu, CardioNerds faculty for House Jones, co-chair of the CardioNerds Cardio-Oncology Series, and rising general cardiology fellow at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Dino, welcome. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said, and I can barely hold my excitement for learning about what the future of cardio-oncology holds. I'm happy to introduce Dr. Anjali Rao, our FIT lead for this episode. Anjali is a cardio-oncology fellow at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, where she also completed her general cardiology training. Prior to that, Anjali came from her hometown of Pittsburgh, where she did medical school, internal medicine residency, and chief resident year. And funny story, I actually had the pleasure of meeting her in person when I was applying for residency, and she was a chief at UPMC. She's now pursuing a career in non-invasive cardiology and cardio-oncology with a focus on medical education. Anjali, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thank you so much, Dino. It's great to see you again. I've been looking forward to this episode, you know, basically since you all emailed. And I have the distinct pleasure of introducing Dr. Stephanie Feldman. Dr. Feldman is an assistant professor and director of cardio-oncology at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. She is board certified in cardiology, cardio-oncology, echocardiography, and nuclear cardiology. And in addition to all those hats that she wears, she's a mentor, imager, clinician, and educator. And we're so, so lucky to have her here today for this discussion. Welcome, Dr. Feldman. Thank you, Anjali. I am a huge fan of Cardio Nerds and have been so impressed with what you all have accomplished for cardiology education. Your special series on cardio-oncology is a really great way for trainees and practicing providers to learn more about this new and rapidly expanding field. I'm excited to be here today to talk about cardio-oncology training. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're happy to have you. And rapidly expanding is definitely right. Everyone I've met in the field has their own story about what drew them to cardio-onc, and it's typically kind of a unique story. For me, I just happened to go to a few clinics as a resident with a cardio-oncologist and the seed was planted and now here we are. Dr. Feldman, what was it like for you? What was your path like? Yeah, I agree. I think everybody you talk to on cardio-oncology has their own story to tell. Mine is, is that I became interested in cardio-oncology because of a patient who I cared for as a first-year general cardiology fellow. He was a young man in his 30s who presented with flank pain and an ECG that was concerning for an anterior ST segment elevation MI. So through the use of multimodality imaging and rapid collaboration with a multidisciplinary care team, we actually ultimately diagnosed him with an NKT cell lymphoma with cardiac involvement. 
So I cared for this patient in both the inpatient and outpatient setting and worked closely with his oncologist to get him safely through cancer treatment. I was really intrigued by his presentation. I enjoyed collaborating with his oncology team and had the opportunity to share this case as a finalist for the Lenac Young Clinician Award at the American Heart Association National Meeting. So towards the end of this amazing and impactful experience, the patient's oncologist told me he thought I would make an excellent cardio-oncologist. You know, at that time, I hadn't really considered this career path, mainly because I did not know much about the field or that this was really an option. At the time, my clinical and research interests were in primary and secondary cardiovascular disease prevention, multidisciplinary care of patients with pulmonary emboli, multimodality cardiac imaging, and medical education. As I learned more about cardio-oncology, the clinical challenges, the multidisciplinary care, the role of cardiac imaging, the opportunities in medical education, and the chance to make a meaningful difference in the lives and treatment of cancer patients, the more I realized that cardio-oncology was a great combination of my strengths and my interests. So while I was looking into opportunities for professional development in cardio-oncology, I found the Cardio-Oncology Fellowship Program at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. I knew this experience with its balance between training in clinical care, cardiac imaging, and research at a world-renowned cancer center was the right opportunity for me. So I applied for this and was really fortunate to be offered a position in this one-year fellowship. Dr. Feldman, thank you so much for telling us about your truly inspiring journey to cardio-oncology. It took a lot of insight, a lot of motivation, and really, not to sound cliche, but a lot of love for your craft and your patients to pursue such a novel field when not much was known about it. I'm really glad that you're finally joining us on our podcast. I've actually been planning this moment for quite some time now since we met at the American College of Cardiology virtual meet and greet session back in 2021. We had a lovely virtual chat about the cardio-oncology training options currently available at the time. And here we are now talking about it a little more in a more public platform. Now, speaking of ACC, in 2020, the ACC Cardio-Oncology Leadership Council published a perspective statement regarding cardio-oncology education. Dr. Feldman, what are your thoughts on having dedicated training in cardio-oncology and obtaining advanced experience in the field as outlined in the document? I think that cardio-oncology is a part of the practice of cardiology that all cardiologists should have some exposure to and comfort with. We know that with earlier detection of cancer and better cancer treatment options, there's a growing population of cancer survivors with shared cardiovascular risk factors, as well as exposure to cardiotoxic chemotherapy. The projected number of cancer survivors is predicted to be around 24 million by 2024, and many of these survivors will require cardio-oncology-related care. Given the large number of patients who would benefit from cardio-oncology care, it is important that anyone who completes training in general cardiology has core training in this field, such as prevention and treatment of chemotherapy-related cardiac dysfunction, management of immunotherapy-related cardiotoxicities like myocarditis, acute and long-term cardiotoxicities of chemotherapy and radiation, and diagnosis and management of cardiac amyloidosis. Beyond general cardio-oncology training, there's also a need for providers with advanced training and expertise in cardio-oncology similar to having cardiologists with advanced training and expertise in advanced heart failure transplant. This additional training after completing general cardiology fellowship is for those cardiologists who want to devote a significant portion of their practice to caring for patients with complex cardio-oncology needs, performing relevant cardio-oncology research, including participation or running clinical trials, 
and leading cardio-oncology programs. In terms of thinking about a framework for training in cardio-oncology, I really like the one suggested by the ACC Cardio-Oncology Leadership Council and their document on cardio-oncology education that you're referencing. They take a format that we are all very familiar with as cardiology fellows, the COCATs, you know, the core cardiology training symposium, and given recommendations as to the core competencies and the number of patient cases you should have exposure to, the amount of time they recommend you spend to develop competency in the field at the different designated levels, for example, you know, the COCATs level one, two, and three. I think it's worth noting that while it may be possible to get adequate exposure, mentorship, and experience to achieve a COCATs level two and cardio-oncology training during your general cardiology fellowship, in my opinion, I think it would be challenging to gain the necessary clinical research and administrative experience to be considered an expert in the field within the compact three years of general cardiology fellowship, given competing requirements and time limitations. Well, thank you so much for that, Dr. Feldman. And it's really great to see that the training in cardiac oncology has been formalized in sort of a way that we can train people who are interested in this field in a way that is kind of cohesive and people are on the same page. Part of this document outlines the importance of the exposure to inpatient cardio-oncology consults. And I'd imagine that many programs are trying to navigate the best way to streamline involvement of cardio-oncology in the hospital. What's the role of cardio-oncology in the inpatient setting? How do you see it working on a practical level? Yeah, definitely. It's a great question, Dan. And I think to answer this question, it helps to think about what cardio-oncology conditions could present in the inpatient setting and what questions you can get called about as a cardio-oncology consultant. So some of these are life-threatening conditions such as immune therapy-mediated myocarditis and CAR T-cell therapy-related cytokine-release syndrome with associated heart failure and or can be associated with atrial arrhythmias. Some of the other cardio-oncology conditions that present in the inpatient setting include chemotherapy-related cardiotoxicities, abrutinib-mediated atrial fibrillation, symptomatic heart failure due to chemotherapy-related cardiac dysfunction. There are many other questions that come up in the inpatient setting that could be addressed by a general cardiologist, but would likely benefit from the expertise of a cardio-oncologist familiar with the long- and short-term cancer therapy cardiotoxicities. Examples of these could include things like cardiovascular risk assessment prior to a bone marrow transplant, or a cancer-related surgery in a patient with known coronary artery disease, management of a systemic anticoagulation in a patient who has a high CHADS2-VADS, and also chemotherapy-related thrombocytopenia. As mentioned in the article you guys cite by Dr. Tozovic, it was published in Jack Cardio-Oncology regarding implementation of cardio-oncology training for cardiology fellows. There is significant variation in how inpatient cardio-oncology consults are handled at institutions across the country and across the world, really, depending on a number of institutional and patient factors. So at large, dedicated cancer hospitals like Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and MD Anderson Cancer Center, every inpatient consult may be considered a cardio-oncology consult. At my current institution, inpatient cardio-oncology consults will be seen by our general cardiology fellows. And then they're staffed with me, the director of our cardio-oncology program, similar to how electrophysiology consults or advanced heart failure consults are seen and staffed at many academic programs. Dr. Feldman, thank you for shedding some light on this topic. Now, I have to say, anecdotally, I've noticed that cardio-oncology is seen more as an outpatient subspecialty, and uh, I've had some trouble 
arguing against that during my recent fellowship interview season since my first experience, my first exposure to cardio-oncology was at MD Anderson, an institution that you've referenced. I spent roughly almost a year doing research over there. And like you said, all consults to cardiology were cardio-oncology consults. And in my mind, that was the standard. That was the way it was supposed to be when you have patients who develop chemotherapy-related complications or immunotherapy-related complications or just have advanced cancers in general that take a toll on their cardiovascular system. It seemed natural for those consults to go to the cardio-oncologist. I've learned that that's not standard and that currently, in general, it doesn't matter whether a patient has cancer or not, the general cardiologist is expected to know how to treat them, and oftentimes they don't, which is the case that we're making in today's episode regarding dedicated cardio-oncology training. But along the same lines, there's sometimes truly a balancing act between subspecialty fellow education and clinical exposure for the general fellows. So what are some strategies in your perspective for involving a cardio-oncology fellow in the inpatient setting without taking away cardio-oncology experience from the general cardiology fellows? Yeah, Dino, that's a great question. And I think each institution's going to handle this differently. And like you're saying, at a place like you trained or where I trained as a cancer hospital, really all the consults that come to cardiology are going to have some flavor of cardiology. Where at some other institutions where, you know, the primary inpatient populations does not have cancer or a history of cancer, you may worry about the volume of consults that you see. So it's a great question to ask. I think one easy thing to do is to round together as a consult team. So the cardio-oncology fellow as the more advanced fellow can be primarily responsible for the consult service. So, you know, they'll have awareness of all the consults that come in and then they can divide the responsibility of seeing the consults with the general fellow. Then you can round together as a consult service. So every learner is engaged in all the clinical care decisions. And so using this method, both the general and the advanced fellow can engage in discussions about key learning points from each patient, be advised by your cardio-oncology attending, relevant research and review articles. And then, you know, what's really cool is a nascent field of cardio-oncology, there's so many unanswered questions that consult team rounds is also a really great opportunity for collaboration, hypothesis generation, coming up with potential cardio-oncology research projects, because there are so many questions we haven't yet answered in the field. I think that's a really great point that you bring up about rounding together and collaborating because I think for many of us who are going into this field, that's a big draw and is a big inspiration to moving things forward and trying to bring more newer learners, younger learners into the fold is half the fun. So uh, I think that's a great point about you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both and involving both the cardiolong fellow and the general fellow in these conversations and bringing up those learning points. I totally agree. I will say that kind of along those lines, so many of the existing cardiolong fellowships are predominantly research focused, while others are more clinical and some may have a combination of the two. Of course, there are benefits to both weighing things one way or the other, but there are certain trainees who may prefer one versus the other, depending on their own career aspirations and goals. Also, it might be a little hard to sell people these days on another year in training for a totally dedicated cardiolog year, and that sort of has its own downsides may not be as attractive to some. While we are in these earlier stages of cardio-onc education, and it's definitely a significant unmet need for providers and for patients 
Do you think, Dr. Feldman, there's a role for tailoring the fellowship to the fellow? For example, in other words, guiding trainees through independent tracks focused on cardio-oncology. Yeah, Anjali, I think you bring up a good point, which is there's really an unmet need. There's a lot of patients who need cardio-oncology care. And so with the rising number of cancer survivors, the complexity of care for those with active cancer, we all really need to think creatively about how current and future generations of cardiology trainees can graduate with the necessary cardiology competencies. So this requires clinical, administrative, as well as educational support. So for instance, at New Jersey Medical School, we host regularly occurring cardiology didactics as part of our general fellowship curriculum. We include cardiology lecturers as part of our grand round lecture series. And we review cardio-oncology topics really as they come up on the fly, on the inpatient cardiology services and the CCU and in the outpatient fellow continuity clinic. With respect to your question about tailoring fellowship, fellows who are interested in pursuing supplemental education experiences in cardio-oncology should be viewed similarly to those looking for experience in other more longstanding subspecialty areas. So these opportunities will depend on access to a National Cancer Institute designated cancer center, multimodality cardiac imaging, and cardio-oncology research. So for example, fellows at my institution interested in cardio-oncology have the opportunity to use their elective and research time to rotate in my outpatient cardio-oncology clinic, spend time with me in the echo lab reviewing echocardiograms, global longitudinal strain, and being involved in performing and interpreting the technetium-99 pyrophosphate scans to evaluate for transthyretin cardiac amyloidosis. So some existing resources that may be useful for cardiology fellows who are interested in cardio-oncology include the International Cardio-Oncology Society's weekly webinars that, Anjali, I know you led one today, the American Society of Echocardiography webinars on global longitudinal strain, the American Society of Nuclear Cardiology's lecture series on cardiac amyloidosis, and cardio-oncology-focused conferences such as the upcoming ACC's Advancing the Cardiovascular Care of the Oncology Patient and later this spring Memorial Sloan Kettering's Cardio-Oncology Symposium. As a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, these resources have become much more accessible via virtual platforms. So while achieving level one and level two competency in cardio-oncology should be possible in the right setting with the right learner, Realistically, expecting a general cardiology fellow to achieve level three competency and to be fully prepared to lead in the field of cardio-oncology without an additional year of training might prove to be challenging. Luckily, there are at least 10 recognized cardio-oncology fellowship programs, according to the ACC Cardio-Oncology website. There's a growing number of cardio-oncologists to serve as mentors throughout the country, and there's many more opportunities for dedicated training in the field. That's great. I like how you sort of framed that by saying, you know, level one and level two are a little more kind of universally achievable, whereas maybe this extra year can remain reserved for those who want to have that extra part of their career kind of moved forward within cardio-oncology. And I also like those resources that you mentioned. I think those are great. I have explored a couple of those myself, so that's awesome. And I think tailoring the fellowship conversation leads me to a question regarding an article that you wrote called Cardio-Oncology Training in the COVID-19 Era. It was a really great read. Very much enjoyed it. And I was hoping to hear from you what your experience was like managing an advanced fellowship program during the pandemic and how do you think training changed in this era and potentially moving forward? 
Thanks, Ashley. And thank you for taking the time to read our article. It was a lot of fun to write, though I'll tell you, writing about the COVID pandemic as it unfolded was challenging because with each round of edits, there was new vaccines, there was new treatments for COVID. So it was a moving target for sure. Um, So I think like many of you and our listeners, I adjusted to a new normal. So fortunately, I was able to stay on the cardio-oncology service for the duration of my training and was not redeployed to the COVID intensive care unit, which I had done during my general cardiology fellowship in the spring of 2020. I had a robust inpatient consult experience learning the bread and butter cardio-oncology concepts from experts in the field. I just recognized most of them from the bridge of their nose up because we were always wearing PPE. I also had the added challenge of learning to discern COVID-related cardiotoxicities from immunotherapy-related cardiotoxicity from more common things like acute coronary syndromes. Training during the COVID pandemic, I had to keep up with the rapidly changing understanding of the virus's effects on the body and treatment options. In hindsight, this helped to prepare me for a career as a cardio-oncologist because Novel oncology treatments are continuously being introduced, and we are learning about the potential cardiotoxicities of these treatments really as they are discovered and implemented. In the outpatient setting, a majority of our patient visits were initially performed via telemedicine, a platform I had really just begun to learn how to use at the end of general fellowship in the spring of 2020. My first few telemedicine clinics were really challenging, navigating technology issues, figuring out my attending expectations, my role as a trainee during this virtual visit. Ultimately, it was a really great learning experience, and it served as a great tool to get feedback from my attendings about my clinic visit. And it's also been a really useful skill set to develop as I continue to use telemedicine today in my outpatient practice to make cardio-oncology care more accessible to patients. Another big adjustment during my advanced fellowship training was virtual conferences. So our weekly division meeting was held via Zoom rather than as an in-person conference. I presented work that I did during my fellowship years at national meetings via virtual platforms. I think the big thing missing from my experience during this time was the in-person relationship building and the networking. But as Dino and I learned during the ACC virtual meet and greet, there are ways to build relationships and network even in the virtual space. I think that during the COVID pandemic, we were forced to become flexible about how we think about training and medical education. So as healthcare workers and frontline providers, we continued to get hands-on patient care experience. However, we were also forced to incorporate new ways of providing patient care, such as telemedicine, new models of medical education, such as virtual conferences, that I think have really distinct benefits and will continue to be used moving forward. Dr. Feldman, that's so insightful. It is kind of really interesting to see, you know, cardio-oncology is really at the crossroads of immunotherapy, a lot of inflammatory disorders, and so many things that overlap and that we can learn from with the COVID experience. And then, you know, just hearing your reflections of how the whole field of medicine in terms of medical education and also communication had to evolve and change. And, you know, some ways for the better, in some ways we miss those interpersonal, you know, in real life, quote unquote, relationships. But now we're kind of able to take all of the things that we've learned and also take the experiences that we have in person together and build on it together. And it's really exciting to hear how you have done that and you have navigated these challenging years and almost made the best out of it. That being said, and from our conversation prior to the recording, we know, Dr. Feldman, that you are a true cardio nerd. So you're probably anticipating our last question about what makes your heart flutter about cardio-oncology. Dan, I thought you'd never ask. 
So what makes my heart flutter about cardio-oncology is the opportunity to be a part of this new and rapidly developing field. My daily work collaborating as a member of a multidisciplinary team and the chance to play a role in my patient's cancer journey, helping to improve their quality of life and outcomes. Dr. Feldman, thank you so much for joining us today. What a great episode. We were privileged today to hear about Dr. Feldman's inspiring journey to becoming a leader in cardio-oncology, a systematic approach to formal cardio-oncology training, implementation of inpatient cardio-oncology consults, and the evolution of training in this virtual era. Anjali, thank you for leading tonight's episode. Dan, thank you so much for hosting us. Dr. Feldman, thank you again for teaching us tonight. This has been the Cardio Nerds Cardio Oncology Series. See you on the next episode.